Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Discuss, please let me know. But I want to cue the conversation this way. And my hope is that we would understand that we are uniquely wired and gifted for the purpose of serving each other. But I want to begin at the very beginning. So Genesis 2, this is how it goes as the Bible says. In the beginning, God created everything, created it all that exists in six days. And on the sixth day, God decided to create Adam, man. His name literally means from the dirt, Adam. And and we don't know when this happened. It may have happened like minutes later or whatever. It doesn't matter. But sometime after that, God put Adam to sleep and he took a rib from Adam and he created Eve. You've heard this story before, right? Shake your head if you've heard the story, okay? This is what we confess and believe that happened. Now, we recognize that what we know is that God has created man and he's created woman. And what's important to first begin with is that God then didn't put them both to sleep and then created a third gender. This is where it ended for God. He said, I created man and I have created woman. And I created them uniquely. They were different. And if you don't know the differences between Adam and Eve, I would suggest that maybe you start by calling your parents and talk about some of those things, okay? But I do think that there are differences between man and women. But I want to be clear in saying this, that those differences are not inferiorities. Those differences don't make one greater than the other. And unfortunately, what has happened in our Christian tradition is that we've taken a text like this and used it as a weapon. I love this image and I hate this image altogether. Because oftentimes we've taken things like this and use them as a weapon to make one superior to the other. Some people have said that the man is superior and gets to rule over the woman, no matter how stupid and dumb the man is. And that is not what the Bible confesses. And some have said that the woman should just remain silent, should just stick to the kitchen and birthing and watching children. And that too is not what the Bible confesses. Instead, I would argue that a careful read and study would find something that is very different, would find something that would talk about that men and women are created to complement each other. And with that being said, just this baseline understanding of what leadership looks like in the Bible as I would define it to be is that leadership is not based on how many people report to you and that you get to roll over, rule over as if then you're a leader. 
But leadership in a biblical sense is more about service to people, care and compassion to others. And what's interesting, what's very interesting and beautiful is that when you look at the life of Jesus and when you look at his ministry and how he acted, especially towards women in the cultural context of what he entered into, it was radical and very countercultural. And I think it's actually very beautiful for us to lean into. So that's what we're going to do today. In fact, uh, if you were to look at women in the first century, uh, they were seen culturally as second class. It was commonly known that a man uh, should not speak to a woman in public. That was just the rule of the culture and of that time. Women were treated as property. Uh, women were responsible for bearing children, for rearing them and maintaining a hospitable home. And they served a purpose and role, but they had little authority. They were secondary to men, so much so that women's role or women's words wouldn't even hold up in court during the time of Jesus. But Jesus shows up. He begins his ministry, and he does some very radical things. In fact, one of the first things that Jesus does when his ministry begins is he visits this woman at the well. Maybe you've heard this story before in John chapter 4. He meets this woman there, and she goes in the middle of the day. She is an outcast inside of her society, inside of her community. And Jesus shows up to this woman, and they have this long dialogue that ultimately ends with him proclaiming to her that he is the Savior that is to come. And his disciples went off into the village to go grab some food, you know, because it was lunchtime. And when they came back, we read these words in John chapter 4, verse 27. It says this, that when the disciples came back, they marveled. Why were they marveling? Because he was talking with a woman. For us, that seems so like, what's wrong with that? But in his time, that was radical. That was so unique. And no one, not one of his disciples said, why do you seek or why are you talking with her? Moving on here, Jesus also in his teachings, not only did he spend time with women, but also he used teachings and illustrations that were not just geared to dudes. The examples of the kingdom of God aren't all related to sports and food. They, they, he used examples that made sense to all people, men and women. For example, he tells this image, he gives this metaphor of the kingdom of God being like a wineskin. And it's so beautiful that he uses this image because a wineskin, the mending of a garment was a task that was done typically by women during that time. But also for a wineskin, to exist and happen, that would require the making of wine, which was something that was done by men. Jesus is speaking to men and women in this parable, in this image. In Luke chapter 13, he uses the parable of the mustard seed, and he, in that same parable, couples it with the kneading of leaven into bread dough. Uh, the task of farming, of planting mustard seeds was done by men, but the kneading of dough was done by women. 
He's speaking to both contexts and cultures. And another example is in Luke chapter 15. Jesus goes on and he tells these three stories about things that are lost. The first one being the lost sheep. The role of a shepherd was typically done by a male. And then he goes on and he tells the parable of the lost coin. And he specifically says that the woman was searching her house trying to find that lost coin. She actually finds it. He's speaking to both contexts and cultures, and that is culturally unique and different. But most interestingly, I think an incredible passage that we just miss the cultural wow moment comes from Luke chapter 10, the words that Brian read for us this morning. Because what we read is that there's this story of Mary and Martha, and they hear that Jesus is coming to visit. And culturally, what would have happened in this moment is that the women would have prepared the food and gotten the house all ready because the guest is coming. Cooking all of your great-great-grandma's big recipes and making sure the house is all clean and everything is put in order. And as this is happening, Martha is preparing everything, and we read these words, that as Jesus entered the village, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And at first glance, we might say, okay, as you heard in the reading, Martha kind of got upset. It's like, why is, why is Mary sitting at Jesus' feet? And you might think, well, Martha's upset because like now she has to do twice the amount of work. Just lost my, my sous chef, my helper here, the one that was helping prepare all of these things. I, I really needed her to help me out, and now everything's going to be thrown off. The schedule's going to all be off. But culturally, what Martha is concerned about is the fact that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, a place that has so much significance. When you read culturally, the understanding of what is being said here is that a seat at Jesus' feet meant or was reserved for one who was following Jesus, one who was a disciple, one who was closely linked to Jesus. And Martha, Martha's concerned that Mary, her sister, is in a seat that she can't be in, as if that would be a disgrace to the family. It, it would look bad for all that were involved. This is not something or a place of where she should be. And what's interesting about this text is that Jesus identifies it. He calls that out. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which should not be taken away from her. Imagine this for a moment, to be in this scenario. This is radical. This is 
so countercultural. Jesus is saying, Mary has chosen the better portion. She understands what this is about. But it doesn't end there. In fact, if uh, the most important, pivotal moment in Jesus's life would be his resurrection. If you know his death and resurrection is what all of Christianity hangs on. And in Mark's account of the death and resurrection, we read that the women show up to the tomb of Jesus and they have this encounter with these angels. And the angels say this to the women, do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, this is important, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The message of Christianity was entrusted with women during the first century to go and share this good message with others. And if that isn't loud and clear, then Paul, an author in the New Testament, would proclaim this. In Galatians chapter 3, he would say these words, for as many of you, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You were given this identity. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, hear the radical nature of what the Bible is proclaiming. Three barriers that are broken down. The first one being simply this, that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's a cultural barrier that is being broken by Jesus. It's not just for a specific family and a lineage that is only for this group of people. And the way we can talk about that is that this is for all people, no matter the color of your skin or where you were born or the family that you come from, this is for you. And he continues. He says, secondly, that there's no class barrier. There's no slave nor free, rich or poor. What that means is that the church shouldn't just uplift the ones that show up in their Bentley on Sunday mornings and give them the best seat because hopefully they're going to give a little bit more money to the church. No, this is for rich and poor. This is for those that bear the image of God, which is every single human being. And as Paul says, neither male nor female. Radical. A gender barrier that is busted. It does not qualify you, nor does it disqualify you. Your value and your worth in God's sight is bigger than your culture, your class, and even your gender. And, and that is at the heartbeat of the good news of who Jesus is, that he came to die for all people. It wasn't just for one gender, wasn't just for one culture, 
It wasn't just for an elite group or the broken group. It was for all, and he gives a new identity. Therefore, our primary identity, as we talked about last week, is that we are a loved child of God. Yet, that also means that that being our primary identity, we still live in a world that has these secondary identities, that has gender, that has race, and has class. So now we get to the point of, okay, well, what in the world does this mean? Cool story, Pastor. How does that affect me right now? And here's how I would begin this conversation. And here's how I believe, as Christians, we should engage this dialogue of gender in our society. The first step is this, is that we learn the task of listening to each other. For too long, and in too many ways, we seem to just want to assert all of these things, and I feel as if we have a responsibility to listen. And I think that has consequences depending on what side of gender you are today. I'll speak to the men first. Number one, for men, I believe that in order for us to listen, we have to offer a seat for women at the table. We have to be willing to let women speak into the things that are happening and going on in our lives. Men, you are called to lead with compassion and service, just like Jesus did. I heard someone say this. I thought it was beautiful. <laughs> Rosa Parks, she taught us that having a seat is not the same as having equality. I think that that's important for us to recognize that we create spaces and places where we're willing to listen. In the second, I certainly asked my wife and practiced the first part of listening. And I said, babe, what would you want? What do you think needs to be said around this issue of listening? And what she said is that for women, we need to not jump quickly to accusations. Certainly, history is filled with oppression. We know that, but it's important for us to be willing to listen to dialogue, to not assume the worst, but listen and seek the best in the situation. The second thing in engaging this dialogue is, I would say that differences are not inferiorities. This is important. I'm not saying that men and women are exactly the same. We are different in many ways, shapes, and forms, and that depends on the man that you're talking about and the women that you're talking about. But there are some biological differences that exist in our genders. And our value, but our value, this is important, our value has been given to us by Jesus. We are heirs of the inheritance, kingdom inheritors. Regardless of our gender, our value is is great, yet we are uniquely wired by God. We're uniquely individually wired by the God who has created us. And what I am not saying is this. I'm not saying that we should be colorblind. 
Not saying that we should just like pretend like, oh, well, I don't really see race. I don't really see culture. No, that's, that doesn't make sense. We certainly see differences that exist with ourselves. I'm not calling us to be gender blind. Not saying that we don't see the differences that exist between men and women, but that we are different, that we are uniquely wired, yet we have the same value. I think a way that I would kind of like to begin the conversation is around being more like Skittles and less like M&Ms. What I mean by this is this. You know M&Ms, same shape, different color. Once you get through the candy shell, they all taste the same, right? Regardless if it's blue or whether it's yellow or whatever color it is, they all taste the same. I'm saying that that's not how we should look at this issue. But instead, like Skittles, they look the same, they have different colors, which gives them distinction. They taste different too. And I'm also not saying because you don't like the yellows and the oranges that you should throw them away. I'm saying that they belong as a part of who we are, that diversity actually is a more beautiful thing rather than a hindrance. And somebody say amen to that. That diversity is beautiful for us to live and understand in, and we actually get to experience more of what heaven looks like when we see differences and we embrace them, whether that's in race, in gender, or in economic status. So differences are not inferiorities. And the last thing is this, I would say, that we need to recognize our own individual privilege and use it to serve other people. I know this word of privilege comes with all kinds of baggage. And certainly some have more privilege in this room than others. But regardless, I would want us to understand that I really believe Looking, living, and loving more like Jesus means that we use our privilege to serve others, to walk alongside other people, to show compassion to other people, not just to serve ourselves. Jesus would say himself that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. He attaches these two commandments together. And as Christians, we should be looking for avenues and ways to serve our neighbor because that is attached to our love for God. So back to the whole gender gap issue in the U.S. women's soccer team. You might be thinking, as I kind of thought originally, well, this makes sense as to why there's such a pay gap difference. I mean, don't the men's soccer team bring in more money than the women's soccer team? Therefore, the men should be getting paid more? Well, that's true in a lot of sports. But when you look at the United States women's and men's soccer team, the real injustice comes because, because the United States women's soccer team this last year 
brought in $51 million, while the men's soccer team only brought in $49 million. Could we be willing to acknowledge that there is a gender issue and problem that exists inside of our society? The world will use these things to find divisions and gaps. I really believe that it's important for us to understand that when we look back to the life of Jesus, we see that the value that he placed on women was the same as he placed it on men. That you are loved regardless of your gender. And I believe that we, as a community of believers, should be compassionate to all, calling out these injustices and use our unique gifting to serve others as well, to complement one another, to show that we are the church, to listen, to see our differences not as inferiorities, and to recognize the privilege that we have to serve others in the midst of injustice. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're a God who is loving and compassionate for all. Lord, I know that we've touched on a topic that is loaded and heavy. And I just pray, God, that in the midst of our culture and society, that we would be first willing to engage in these things. Stop being ignorant. Stop pretending that these things don't exist. Lord, we know that there are many things that need to be fixed. We know that because we live in a broken world that's filled with people that just think about themselves instead of thinking about those around them. Lord, you called us to a different standard. You called us to love and show compassion, especially to the broken, but to all. And I pray, God, that we would be willing to engage in these conversations. I pray that our, our manner, the way that we act, would be one of listening, would be one that points to you, that, that points to the good news of, of value and love that is beyond anything that we do, yet also desires for all to know the good news of who you are. God, help us to do that. And may we not just <laughs> push this aside, but may we just be a community and people that's willing to discuss and lean in on the difficult things that exist in this world, only for the purpose so that more would see your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.